0: The reading today is taken from Matthew 21, verses 33 to 46. The Parable of the Tenants. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall round it, dug a winepress in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them in the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him. Take his inheritance. So they took him threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvellous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people who will produce its fruit. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Linda's going to speak to us this morning from that passage, so let's just pray for um, her now. Father God, we thank you that you have a heart for all people, that you have a heart for your creation. And from the riches of what you have provided for us, we seek to live lives that glorify you. So we pray that you would come by your spirit and move through Linda's words to bring a revelation of your plan and purpose for us as individuals and as your body, the church in this place. This we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you very much, Matthew, and good morning. Well, with our focus on harvest this morning, it's very appropriate that we hear a Bible passage read to us, which fortunately mentions harvest, and I imagine that's why we went back to Matthew. Um, There is a connection with Ephesians, which we'll see um, fortuitously, but the passage we heard read to us by Janine comes from chapter 21 of Matthew's Gospel, and it recounts a story that Jesus himself told about harvest time in a vineyard, not the harvest we know particularly well, but that was the sort of agricultural work that Jesus would have been very familiar with in his context. And... If I can find the clicker, we might see a picture of the vineyard, the sort of vineyard that Jesus would have been familiar with, perhaps bigger. This is actually from the Golan Heights, so it's very much Jesus's territory. Um, but I don't think he had plastic buckets and things in those days, so it's a modern vineyard. But notice people working in the vineyard. With their hands. And the growing and harvesting of grapes each year was a very common practice in Jesus' day. And that's why he often used vines and vineyards and grapes and wine as illustrations in his stories. He used them because in his teaching and in his stories, they were familiar and accessible to his listeners and easily understood in that context. And in the passage we heard this morning, Jesus is actually telling the second of two stories about a vineyard. Both his stories are parables. In other words, while on the surface they seem like stories of everyday life, underneath they carry a deeper meaning which the storyteller wants his listeners to grasp and take away with them. Perhaps it's a specific teaching point or a truth that the storyteller wants to drive home in his listeners' hearts and minds. And whenever Jesus tells the parable, it's always worth taking a close look at who he's talking to, when, where, and why. So although we didn't hear the earlier parts of chapter 1 read to us, I'd like us to cast a brief eye over what goes before verse 33 to help us get a better sense of how we should understand verses 33 to the end. And I need your help in doing this. In the church Bibles, you should find a little slip of paper which has got Matthew 21 and a few verses on it. From that chapter, and there's a question for you to answer. So, I'm going to give you a few minutes to take a look at the verses on your slip of paper. You can do this with the person next to you, or you can do it in a small group. Turn your chairs around if you want to, and try and have a look at the passage and then answer. The Question on your slip of paper in a single sentence. I'll give you several minutes to do that. If you're not sure where Matthew is, the the most important page to know in the Bible is the contents list. And I'll give you a tip. It's on page 935. So that'll make it quicker to find Matthew 21. had a chance to have a quick look at the verses on your slip of paper get a sense of what's there who had verses 1 to 11 Pam tell us in one sentence what's going on there Jesus had borrowed a donkey from Bethphage and he'd entered Jerusalem to great acclaim where people recognised him as Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee Brilliant summary verses to seventeen I'll try not to hook myself up this time Anna Hello. um basically um Jesus goes into the temple and he sees um people selling and Selling selling stuff in in the temple, and he um, um turns over all of the um all over the tables and benches, and then he um all the um and um, the blind and the lame come to him and he heals them, and um all the children start shouting Hosanna to the Son of David, but the um the um priests don't really um like this like this much, and um Jesus um basically he. He backs it up by quoting from scripture. Great. And then he goes. Thank you. You had quite a lot in that. Who had 18 to 22? Fiona. Jesus cursed the fig tree. And the disciples were astonished how quickly it withered. And the message from Jesus was, with faith, um, you can even move mountains. And who had 23? I think it was to 27. Somebody over here. 23. Oh, Rachel, are you good for this one? Yeah, go, Have a go. Go on. Have a go. They'll- basically jesus entered went into the temple and he was que- he was
0: preaching but he was questioned what authority he had to preach and there was a bit of discussion about whether the origins of his preaching was from human origins or from god i think
1: sounds good to me and then we have the first vineyard story who had this one anybody yeah Would you like to tell
0: us what happened there? Um, It's a parable about a man with two sons, and he asked them both to go and work in the vineyard. The first agreed, the first said no, but ended up doing it, and the second said he would do it, but changed his mind and ended up not doing it. So then Jesus said to them, whoever they were, that... um, the tax collectors and prostitutes would basically see the kingdom of God ahead of them Mm. because they had not um, listened. Indeed. And then he
1: goes on to the next story, which is the one that we know. But let's just go back to these various sections. In the first one, here's Matthew's account of the day when Jesus entered through the city gate into the town of Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. And we see how he was greeted enthusiastically by vast crowds of people who spread their cloaks on the ground and waved branches cut from local trees. The ordinary people welcomed Jesus, just as if he was a king riding on a fine horse. And as Pam rightly said, they recognized something special about him, something prophetic about him, and responded with joy, enthusiasm, and expectation. But then, of course, he goes into the temple, which is the main place for worshipping God in Jerusalem. What does he find? It's full of people who are not there to worship God themselves, but instead have turned it into a banking system. And a marketplace where genuine worshippers have to convert their ordinary money into a special temple currency, no doubt paying a hefty commission to do that in the process. And only when the genuine worshippers have done that can they then use the temple money to buy doves and other animals for sacrifice, according to Jewish religious law and tradition, in order to approach God and receive his blessing and forgiveness and you can imagine how unpopular Jesus was with the temple authorities for upsetting the temple business he turns out the money changers and the dove sellers and he is even more unpopular for attracting undesirables into the building like the blind and the lame and curing them and when it comes to having children singing praises in the temple well that was totally unacceptable wasn't it And then we see a fig tree getting the sharp end of Jesus' tongue just because it doesn't have any fruit on it. What's that all about? And then in the verses 23 to 7, we see further opposition to Jesus and his teaching in the temple. Opposition from the chief priests and the leaders and Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, men who should have known better. They question Jesus' status and his authority for doing what he does. And Jesus cleverly responds to the temple leader's challenge to his teaching by telling them a story, or a couple of stories. The first is the story about the man with two sons, and he asks each of them to help out with the work that's needed in the family vineyard. And Jesus' story shows the very different responses the father gets from his two sons and what the actual outcomes are. One promises that he will help, but then he fails to deliver on that promise. And the other won't initially commit to helping his father, but he later changes his mind and turns up to help after all. And so by the time we get to verse 33, which was the start of our reading, the writer of Matthew's gospel has very cleverly set up for us a multifaceted picture of different ways in which people see the person and the teaching of Jesus when they encounter him and different ways in which they engage with him and react to him. While some people see Jesus and recognize him as the Son of God, and they respond in a positive way, others see him very differently, and they react in a very different way. And in his second vineyard story, Jesus is very explicit about this negative response and the negative attitudes and actions of most of those who were involved. It's harvest time in the vineyard. And so the landowner, quite rightly and properly, sends his servants to collect the harvest produce from the tenant farmers, who've been looking after and working the vineyard, presumably in agreement with the contract. But the response of the tenant farmers is to beat up and kill the servants on at least two occasions. And finally, the landowner sends his son in the belief that he will be recognized properly for who he is and therefore respected by the tenant farmers. The tenant farmers do recognize (laughs) the landowner's son. They recognize his ownership claim to the vineyard and therefore his rights to the fruit of the harvest. But it makes no difference. They still throw him out and kill him, just as they did the servants who'd gone before with the intention of taking over the vineyard for themselves. Having told the story, Jesus asks his listeners in the temple what they think the outcome will be. And his listeners are very clear in their analysis. Well, of course, the existing tenant farmers will be removed and the vineyard will be rented instead to a new set of tenants. Tenants who will be faithful in rendering the fruits of the harvest to the rightful owner of the land. And Jesus' underlying message in this story is exactly the same as it was in his first vineyard story. And he explains it in verses 31 and 32. Don't be deceived, he says to those of his listeners, who undoubtedly considered themselves to be faithful followers of God. Don't be deceived. True commitment involves recognizing God's rightful claim and responding accordingly. So oops again there we go. The two vineyard stories and much of the early chapter then focus around two key themes. The first is the theme of recognition and the second is the theme of response. If we think about the different people that Jesus encountered in this chapter, in the short passages that you read, we can see that so often they saw him through different eyes and recognized him in different ways. The crowds recognized a humble leader in the style of King David. The money changers and dove sellers recognized a threat to their business and economic well-being. People with disabilities recognized in Jesus a compassionate healer while children saw him as a cause for celebration. For the temple leaders, Jesus was a challenge to their religious authority and the political powers that be. And in a similar way, Jesus' two vineyard parables described a pair of sons and a group of tenant farmers who were confronted with a choice of recognizing and acknowledging a fair and righteous father or landowner or refusing any claims to that effect. And the differing ways in which people chose to recognize and acknowledge Jesus invariably shaped the way they responded to him. And we can see clearly how the responses of all these individuals and groups varied. Some responded with praise and adoration, with joy and thanksgiving. Others responded to Jesus with suspicion, antagonism, and rejection. Jesus told his parables, including these two vineyard stories, to provoke deep and searching questions in his listeners, questions that would deliberately make them feel uncomfortable and challenge them to consider seriously their own attitudes and their own behavior. And the message of Jesus' vineyard parables was certainly uncomfortable listening for the established members of the Jewish faith community those who considered themselves faithful worshipers in God's holy temple in Jerusalem. And maybe we here today should not necessarily think we're that different. We too are challenged by Jesus' teaching on the importance of recognizing God's claim on our lives and responding appropriately to him in the way we look at him In the way we look at one another, in in the way we look at those beyond our walls and at the wider world. And in the way we choose to live out our lives. So how well do we recognize the calling that God has on our lives? How well do we recognize the purposes for which God has created us and for which he promises to equip us as we heard in the first of our Ephesians series? How far do we cooperate with God's purposes and mission for his world? Or are we sometimes tempted to do things the way we want them? Or even to live at variance with God's kingdom values? Like the people of Israel. How do we see Jesus? And how do we respond? Do we recognize Jesus as God's son, king, saviour, lord, and master of the vineyard of our individual lives and our life as a church family or do we are we inclined sometimes to see him in a different light with no particular authority or claim over us recognizing jesus for who he really is and this has been the theme of our ephesians uh, studies should really evoke from us a response of joy and enthusiasm praise and thanksgiving, honesty and acceptance and most of all, a response of true discipleship and mature commitment. A commitment that bears fruit both in our lives and in the lives of others. And that's the bottom line. The vineyards in Jesus' stories were intended for fruitfulness. Anyone who was listening to Jesus' parables knew that. A vine that bears no grapes, a vineyard that generates a poor harvest, is a waste of space and may as well be dug up and put to better use. Jesus' listeners knew that too. but They also knew that in the Jewish faith, the vineyard represents the people of God. And if God's people are not producing the fruit of God's Spirit, the rich and transformational harvest... That results from God's character at work in their lives, then God's mission for this world is seriously at risk. So in conclusion, as God's people here in this time and place, we should perhaps be asking ourselves a couple of challenging questions. How fruitful do we think our lives as individuals and as a faith community are? Are they as fruitful as they should be, and if not, what's the problem? Could it be because we don't fully recognize and respond to Jesus' rightful claim on all that we are, on our time, on our talents, on our money, on our possessions, and on all the richness of God's provision in our lives, that we celebrate intentionally today on this harvest festival? Like the vineyard and like the fig tree, we have been designed by God for fruitfulness, to be a people who bring blessing to the world he has created and that he sustains in love. And the gift day, which we started talking about at the beginning of this service, offers us all a fresh opportunity to reflect on Jesus' challenge, to be faithful and to be fruitful. And perhaps we do well to take seriously those four verses in the middle of Matthew chapter 21 that tell us what happened to a fig tree when Jesus found no fruit
0: on it. Amen.